my story, like you said, it's it's powerful, but its biggest power is is always coming back to the fact that the reason I, I survived, you know, the depression and the grief and the compounded trauma was that I had other people around me uh, and community and people that I could tell at my lowest moments that I was, in fact, at my lowest moment. Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome back, listeners, to episode 47. As always, your host, Steve Opolinik, for the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. Our guest today is Addison Brazil. Really excited to have Addison on. He is a co-founder of a app called Tether for men's mental health and connection. And as we, as you'll hear in the podcast, he has a really strong connection to this message and to this mission. I think this is a great podcast to have shortly after Valentine's Day, where so much of the focus is on interpersonal relationships with others and significant others. But also, I think this is a good podcast to follow that up to talk about connection, community, connecting with others and supporting others in non- romantic relationships, and taking care of yourself. Addison's story is really empowering and enlightening, but it does talk about trauma and it does talk about suicidality. And I think it's really important, and I'd be remiss not to say this, but in the show notes, I put a crisis hotline. And if you're local, please send me a message if you need any help. I can connect you with crisis and we can do some follow-up. But also check out Tether if you're a man listening to this. It's a really good app and I think a really good community to be a part of and so so needed now in this time of COVID, but needed way before to put the emphasis on mental health and physical health and wellness. So without further ado, here's Addison. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. Welcome to the podcast, Addison. I'm stoked to to have you on and talk a little bit about what you're doing and, and your passions and everything of that nature. So um, do you think you could kind of introduce yourself to the audience and talk a little bit about your story and what, what that is? Yeah, of course, I'd love to. Uh, my name is Addison Brazil. I am the um, one of the co-founders of the Tether app for men, which is a men's mental health and well-being platform that's completely peer-enabled. Uh, it's currently available on the Apple App Store. Um, 
and I guess um, to kind of introduce myself, how I got into that, um, I, I've always kind of been a creative and a connector. And um, during my kind of years of high achieving in my 20s, I, I unfortunately went through um, some very compounded traumas. I, uh, I lost my brother to a brain tumor um, at about 20 years old. And then three years later, after graduating school, I found my father after he died of suicide. Uh, and then sort of on the cusp of going to the ends of the earth and trying to figure out, you know, what my purpose is and find meaning and make sense of the world that I was living in with these major losses. I, I was in a really bad accident in California that killed one of my dear friends and left me learning to walk and honestly operate in the world, um, you know, with PTSD and just making right. sense of things. And, and it was in that, um, that final sort of resilience test, let's call it, um, that my co-founder Matt had came up with the idea of Tether because he was going through something very similar mm. um, at the time, grieving a friend and actually grieving one of the only people he felt like he could talk to as a man. And uh, and when he you know, came up with the idea, it was something that I immediately knew I wanted to be a part of. Um, and um, I looked back on my own sort of decade of, of grieving and, and getting through what I had been through. And I realized that the only way that was really possible, I probably wouldn't be here if I didn't have uh, the community and the support that I had. Right. Um, in addition to the professional help I had, just like that, you know, network of peer support. And so uh, I became instantly passionate about it. And, um, you know, I was just going to consult and kind of like give all my love to the project. And it just kept building. And now I'm a co-founder and responsible for the entire brand and the impact strategy. That's amazing. And, and I want to take a second just to thank you for being open and honest. I know talking about past traumas and losses of loved ones and, and traumatic accidents is not easy. So I want to thank you for, for sharing that with myself and the listeners to really compound on, you know, just how important this mission is for you. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So Tether, I mean, one of the first things I, in coming across the app, one of the first things that really um, spoke to me was one, the logo, which is, uh, looks like a chain link. And then two, the name Tether makes a lot of sense, right? Because when, when you're talking about pure support of that nature, it is almost like tethering to an anchor or having mm -hmm. an anchor there to support you. And it's not just one individual, but a community or a place of healing. And so I think you guys hit it out, out of the park with, with the naming of the app. And then also just the logo design of the app, simple, but also very um, kind of talks about your mission. So you, you mentioned you're a co-founder with your co-founder, Matt. And yep. mm -hmm. so he was going through something similar. How did you guys get together and really um, flesh out what it would look like and that you wanted it to be an app as opposed to a business or, or like a brick and mortar business or anything? Yeah, like of course. Um, yeah. So I think so. It's interesting because Matt and I actually went to high school together and we, we, you know, we knew of each other, but we weren't extremely close. And, uh, but luckily we were the high schoolers that got Facebook and, you know, we <laughs> sort of remain connected as you do through, through that over like the next sort of decade after graduating. And after the accident, I just, Matt posted something and I just kind of had this moment where I was like, oh, he's going through it. Like he knows what I know kind of thing. And I just reached out and I was just kind of like, 
hey, like, I know we're not close and this is kind of weird, but, you know, if, if you want to chat, man, um, I think I, I kind of know what you're going through. And, and it was more known what I had been through. I mean, I, I, my sure. struggles didn't get to be as private as some people's because, you know, it was my brother and my father and, you know, the, the accident was on the news. Like they're just, you know, um, so, and he was right away like, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I'd love to chat. Um, and um, so in a weird way, we kind of the year as he was thinking it up, we're like a, we say we were, kind of like a beta for it, like our own relationship, because we both were seeking professional help. We both were doing a number of holistic and healing practices, just trying to, you know, be here, really. We're both kind of in this weird spot in our lives. And I call it the Matt moment, because it's the first moment where someone else ever like admitted it to me. But he said that he didn't want to live, but he didn't want to die. Mm. And that's kind of where I had been living for a while. Um, and it's weird, because it's not classified like as suicidal um in, in certain terms but you know it's it's it i think it's somewhere that a lot of men we're finding find themselves right. um and uh so from that we kind of had this relationship where we'd coach each other in crisis we both within that year were suicidally depressed at different times it did get much harder and much lower for for each of us at different times and then um and then when it came to building the app um I always like have to be honest, when he came to me, I was doing consulting at the time and I was just like, I have a lot of friends with great ideas, like, but I need like it to be at like that the next level where, mm -hmm. you know, it's like with an app, it's like, obviously like we can build this thing, you can run this thing, but who can actually like do the tech side of this. So our other co-founders, uh, Burke White and Denny Park, he, he found them and he, and he kind of came back and they had been building for a few months. And like I said, I was going to start to consult. And then it just kind of was clear that I was going to sort of take the app and the original brand idea and, and build it into what it is today. Yeah, that's great that you, you both, well, one, I think it's great that you both found each other in those moments and could be supports. And it seems like, you know, you guys were pursuing your own way through it and, you know, doing the steps that we often think about of therapy or holistic healing and, and things of that nature. But really the missing piece for, for both of you, it seemed like was that community engagement and connection with other men who were kind of understanding because I do, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more, but I do think that there is a stigma, especially with men on being able to open up and connect and talk about emotions and talk about traumas and, and talk about worries. And so I think it's beautiful that you guys were able to find each other and then turn that into, you know, what you guys are pushing forward right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it became so apparent that, that, you know, that peer support piece was just the most important part because it was the connection piece. It was seeing yourself and others and, and feeling at your worst and knowing that, that it was just, you were a fully feeling human, not a flawed thing that needed to be fixed. Um, and I think that that's been quite contagious in, in, in our culture as the app, um, you know, and we don't have guys only coming, of course, on, on the hard days or that are struggling, um, you know, they're checking in on, you know, their happy moments too. And that, that's kind of the beauty of it where, where, like you said, we're sort of breaking down this stigma day by day you know, some guys are coming on and, and just starting with, you know, we do one word check-ins every Monday and it's just one word of how you're feeling physically, mentally, and emotionally. And for some people that's their entry point. 
you right. know, for others, they're, they're posting long threads, they're starting accountability groups, they're doing our micro programming, whatever it is. Um, you know, there's, there's kind of a place for everybody, but then also a place for everyone to kind of see themselves in it. And, and I think that's, that's kind of what we really wanted in a more official way in our own lives. So walk me through how the app uh, works a little bit. I did sign up before we were talking just to peruse and, and kind of see the, the basic format. So I'm excited to explore that a little bit more. But um, walk me through the general practicum of how it works and, and what you guys are building. And then maybe some ideas you have, not that you have to uh, break any secrets about the app, but some ideas you have for the future for, for Tether. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, right now what happens and, and what we've done is very intentionally built uh, the base and the foundation of the app as being not only free, but completely community based. So when you go on, you build your profile as you did, you can identify what you're currently going through. You uh, can identify current hobbies and, and picture and a name. So we're, we're taking you away from sort of like the Reddit, Facebook keyboard warriorship world and like you're showing up as you are with what you've got going on. And then from there, based on your comfort level, you sort of pick your entry point. Uh, Cause it's not that everyone can suddenly see that you're there. So mm -hmm. once you start to support or be supported, that's kind of where, you know, your presence in that sense uh, comes forward on the app. And, and what the, the basic, basic, basic is getting men to check in with their emotions based on how they're feeling in the moment. And then offering them the opportunity to share based on that in the threads that you'll see. Um, and then other men have the opportunity to support that man or honor that man, um, whatever they feel. And, and then there's also the ability to create, you know, groups or what we call pods, um, you know, in group messaging, private messaging and, and that sort of thing. And then without giving too much away, our, our next level will sort of build on that foundation um, and provide a little bit more tools as far as um, purpose and accountability around it, but by making sure that there's that, that community built in for before, during, and after whatever they're going through, because that's really the part that's always missing. You know, it's like spend whatever amount of money and do this thing that will fix you in 30 days. And I think we all know, not only based on the suicide rates and just the men's mental health epidemic in general, but that's just not how it works. I mean, what, what you really need is a team that can support you for life because it's an active process, you know, right. so it, it's, you're always going to be growing and changing. And um, so, yeah, we are, are we're not there to fix anyone. Um, I'm, I'm my sort of tagline is honor the journey. That's all I offer to people when they suffer great losses or grief or anything similar to what I've been through is you honor the journey, you know, um, whatever it is, you show up fully to it. And, and that's just, that's a lifelong practice. That's, that's a relationship you have with yourself and your well-being every day. It's not something that I'm trying, although I tried for about a decade to get it fixed. <laughs> uh, it's not something I'm, I'm seeking to be fixed anymore. It's, you know, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but it's a bit of my own, you know, superpower. Yeah. I mean, um, I think it's it's actually really important that that you pay attention to what you just said because I think so many of us are are trying to fix certain things or something's wrong with me or you know this needs to be fixed it needs to go away when in reality you know a lot of what's happening isn't about that fix it's about how how you overcome or how you get through or how you honor your emotions in those moments and and kind of strengthen your conviction or strengthen your ability to check in and connect and, and regulate. 
Um, and it seems like that's kind of your, what you guys are doing, right? Yeah, 100%. And sort of rather than being on this endless search for this final solution or this fad quick fix, you know, spiritual consumerism thing, um, you know, just commit to a purposeful process. And, and that process goes on as, as long as you do, you know, that's, that's part of the cool parts of being a fully feeling human being. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it, you know, fully feeling human being, because I think so much we shut down because it, it is so hard and, you know, um, so how do you, so, so it seems like Tether is building that community support and, and, um, collaborating with the other supports that people are, are looking to build and go through their own process and learn that skill building. Like you mentioned, the holistic kind of wellness, healing uh, therapy and things of that nature. Do you guys ever get to a, a sticky point where um, someone may be really struggling and, and needs a resource for safety? Is, is there something built into that for that to kind of connect? Obviously knowing what you guys are doing is not acting as that counselor piece it's it's that community mm-hmm. and, and having other resources involved uh, how do you how do you manage that how do you work with that yeah so that's one of the sort of exciting parts about my job is is really building the brand out so that experientially guys are learning what peer support is uh, so that they can do it within the app, but then within their lives. And like a big part of that is differentiating between, you know, what peer support is and and crisis support is, and and obviously what professional help is. And um, one doesn't negate the other. They all have sort of their own place, but as far as when someone, and we have had men in crisis that, um, We've been fortunate enough to be a part of their journey and app existed where we could support them in a way we weren't necessarily supported at that point of crisis. Um, But yeah, we have um, what's called trusted voices you'll see on the app Mm -hmm. and they're sort of like community um, built moderators that sort of go to the next level. Um, And, and basically everyone is guided generally to, to support the man in need, but to direct them to crisis resources and, and encourage them. But, but most importantly, to not stigmatize it because you know if we all just go, oh, you're in crisis, you know, straight to the crisis resources right. and I can't talk to you anymore. What I, what I try to really do by showing in the way that I support when this comes up is again, letting them know, hey, I'm gonna be here before, during and after, but I think it's a really good idea right now if, if, you know, if you're not feeling safe to call a crisis resource and to just, it's really within the culture to always remind um, because it's a balanced balanced and boundary driven relationship. And at any moment you're the supportee or the supporter. So you you have to remember that. And when you're supporting to remind them, hey, I'm, I'm just a peer, I'm here in all the ways that I can be. Uh, I'm here to help you kind of like, you know, ask, ask more questions and figure out what the safest option is. Um, and it's also, as I said, boundary driven totally capable of any man to say hey i'm not the guy to support this situation let's let's get you another buddy and like you know i've i've had times where i said you know i've called a crisis line i know you think it's like this other thing it's not it actually helps me so much if you want it like we can three-way like i'll i can be on the call i can stay you know whatever you want to do you can keep messaging me on the app well you call um there's just that that real opportunity to still have the community around, around being in crisis. Um, and so 
it's, it's a lot of education and it's a lot of boundaries, but then there's a nice harmony there of like guys not feeling more stigmatized by opening up to the fact that they're in crisis. Yeah. And, and I think that's really important because, you know, the last thing you want to do is build this community. And then in, in the moment of, of need in the journey, just have people bow out because it's, Oh, this is above my pay grade. The situation, obviously knowing like you're not the one right. who's going to be doing the crisis work, but offering, Hey, I'm here. If you need to keep messaging with me or, or if you need me to call in or, or whatever that works out with. And then also that, that boundary concept is really important, right? Knowing your own boundaries, knowing uh, other people's boundaries. So they don't become so enmeshed that you start taking on the other person's stuff or they start taking on your stuff as well. And, and having that grace period to be like, Hey, I'm not going to leave you. We're going to find someone who can sit with you in, in this moment. Um, but you know, I, I do have to step away for, for certain reasons. I think that's, that's intelligent and very well thought out of, because I think oftentimes when you talk about this stuff, boundaries just become so messy and that's mm-hmm. where a lot of the shut, shutting down happens or the no stay away happens as well. Right. And it seems to be from all the research that um, and the doctors that have advised us, um, it's really shown that men, for, as far as an entry point to mental health services, men underutilize, but they also are more likely to utilize if it's modeled by other men, the behavior. Mm-hmm. And so there's something very different about having to Google, uh, I feel suicidal, or I'm thinking of ending my life and being formally given crisis options, then another guy being like, yeah, I've had a day like that, you know, I called this number, and it changed the rest of my life. They actually helped when I called personally, I'm happy to share that they actually helped me to identify that on the on the ratio of suicidality, I was I was the lowest, like measuring wise, it was just that I was thinking about it, you know, and I didn't realize that you know, there's more to it. And if you have a plan and action, you know, around that plan, planned, you know, there's, there's levels there. And, and it actually really helped me to just speak to someone and, and for them to kind of say, you know, it's, it's normal to think what you're thinking, if it turns into a plan, uh, like, would you be willing to call back? Yeah, of course, you know. Um, and there's something about that. There's something about another guy. It's, it's the mechanic thing. You don't, you know, you want to find another guy who's gone to the mechanic, didn't get ripped off they fixed the car like it's right just, yeah exactly it, it applies to everything i think that's a good metaphor because it is like finding someone that you can trust and you value their opinion to kind of break it down in a way of like oh no this is totally normal and it's something i deal with a lot is when people come in and when i'm counseling with them and they're talking about uh, some thoughts they are having or you know, even the the stigma of coming into counseling and after a couple of sessions, they come in and they say, I, I didn't know this was what counseling was. I, I could have been here when I was 13, when I was dealing with this or, you know, coming in and, and just saying, you know, it's nice to have someone to talk to and, and not necessarily feel judged or, or, you know, cause I'm open about my own processes that I've gone through too, with, with trauma or depression or, you know, eating disorders. And so I think it's really good to connect in that way, to tether in that way. Right. And, um, to really form that relationship. So that's great. I love that. Um, absolutely. So, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, the stigma with men and mental health and, and how it manifests, when did you first realize that that was something that was uh, in the culture or in the society? 
Yeah, so it's really interesting. It's always a good question because I, it's funny, I grew up in a very loving, I don't want to say liberal, but like liberal household, a Canadian household where, you know, you, you could come forward with your feelings, you, you know, there, that, that stigmatized nature didn't really exist within my house, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And yet when I look back, I definitely still learned it, you know, society, from society, I, I definitely still learned. And I was one of the people that, I guess I felt like the need to push down my sensitivity and I used success, I used overachieving as sort of the like the blocking point of getting to the real me. Um, and I was celebrated and praised for doing that. I actually, the more that I was, you know, sort of stoic, worrying about helping other people and succeeding, the most praise I got, but the loneliest I felt. Right. Um, and it's sort of, you know, it's like any other addiction where you're sort of building on that. Um, and it took literal, you know, life traumas to sort of put me off course and have to reevaluate and think. and. And, um, and other than like a death, and to be honest, almost like more often, I noticed like a traumatic death, there really wasn't an opportunity um, for, for guys to really deal with their mental health in that way. It wasn't ever really like an open conversation. And right. of everyone I knew, I was sort of the only person who was kind of given the badge to talk about it, because I had gone through things that people said they could never imagine, you know. Um, but I think for me, the biggest, the biggest lens goes to my dad, because when my brother was suffering um, with his brain tumor, you know, we had all eyes on my mom and it, right. it, like just worrying about, you know, what would happen to her when my brother eventually passed. And nobody was was paying over attention to my strong dad, who's always provided for us, you know, and now that I look back, he was definitely like in little ways kind of saying, hey, if this happens, I'm not going to be okay. And of course, three and a half years later, you know, my dad and I never talked about depression until the last two weeks of his life. We never talked about really mental health. My my dad was a uh, successful stock trader. And I just always thought when the money was up, we were up. And when it was down, we were down. And I never really even thought to translate that into like his actual well-being that, you know, I just figured it was sort of about the market. Uh, And that I think he used the market a bit as a metaphor growing up for how, and because he didn't feel comfortable saying how he was feeling, um, which makes a lot of sense. And then obviously we get to this point where, you know, he's, he's saying to me, he's really not feeling well again, and, and he's going to go back on antidepressants and he just needs time to sort of sort himself out over this two week period. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, my dad is like, was like sort of Robin Williams when he, when he passed, people felt the same way of like, no, no way, like no way, you know, he's just the life of the party. Uh, Of course I had a, a closer relationship with him. Saw more of the fully feeling human being than that. Um, But, but yeah, it was just, it was just so quick. And I was sort of in that primary position with him in those two weeks. And, you know, I'm 23 years old going, okay, well, like, this is making me nervous. Like, can you call me at this time and this time of day, if you won't let me come live with you and sort of just, I mean, I remember, and I said this so many times, I feel like I need to respect his privacy and who he is as a man. Like he just did not want me around while he was struggling to this degree. And he promised me that it would just be like sort of an uncomfortable transition and then he'd be, he'd be better. And, and 
you know, now obviously I'd kick a door down in retrospect and I, mm-hmm. you know, I even did do that within those two weeks when, when those calls got missed, but it just happened so quickly. And then, so my whole brain spent sort of the next two years and you'll understand this from a PTSD level, just trying to make sense of the image of my father when I found him from suicide and like everything I had known up until that moment. And it was just this processing of how did he get there? How did he get there? How did he get there? This, this wasn't a two week thing. You know, this was a lifelong thing. And the fact that I was the closest to him and wasn't, you know, he was recently divorced and, and, and the market wasn't what it used to be, you know, obvious things like that. But the fact that, that, you know, he was feeling this lonely and this isolated um, was just, was just not something that I that I was aware of. And it just became sort of imperative to me. And I had already started a charity after my brother died of a brain tumor to support. So then I was sort of looking for my way to respond to this, but I'll be really honest, it took, you know, almost four years to start to want to. And then that was right at the accident. So then I was back at ground zero. So, yeah. you know, I knew as soon as I was able to fully get up and talk about this stuff again, that that I would absolutely have to, because my dad's death, if anything, you know, if, if you can't change anything, then the gift is it that like, just the amount of mental health education, understanding that had to go into me being able to survive it and, you know, possibly thrive in the face of the losses was just learning so much and how much men in general aren't saying and how actually common it is to lose a father to suicide and, and to lose a man in your life to suicide. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you know that it's climbing to 80% of all suicides are men at this point. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that again. I know, I know uh, your story is really powerful and, and it's a lot um, to have processed through, but I do think it really informs kind of what we're talking about here today, this idea of, um, how even though you lived in a family that was really loving and, and talked about things, there still was that societal constraint uh, on you and then also your father and on how to deal with these things. I think back, you know, my dad has always been someone who doesn't conform to those societal norms. He'll, he'll wear pink and he'll talk about how much he loves you and he'll, he'll connect with you. He'll, it hasn't happened yet, but he did promise my daughter that, she can paint his nails sometime soon. So that's in, in the making. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but, you know, still growing up, I think about the the eighties TV shows and movies that we used to watch and die hard and commando and all the Schwarzenegger movies. And there are these moments that I didn't realize when I was young, cause it was like, yeah, all this action, all this cool stuff. But there are these moments where the protagonist just goes into action mode to save the day <laughs> instead of talking about the emotional grief that comes with it, you know, and commando Schwarzenegger's daughter is kidnapped and he just goes and, and saves her, but they never talk about how traumatic that was for him or how scared he was for her and die hard. Same thing. You know, he he's dealing with a wife and, and loving his wife and going to her new job. And, and there's all this, um, worry about their relationship and then something happens and he has to go into safety mode and, and kind of protect everyone, which as a kid is awesome. It still replays really well. And it actually, a thing I think they did really well with that was in Die Hard 3, they showed the fallout of that emotional distress that he mm-hmm. would never talk about it and how they got divorced and how he's just kind of 
falling apart because of it. And so I think as time has progressed, some of that narrative has come in, but, you know, growing up on that stuff, it's, even though you have the home life, it's hard to really rewire that ingrained process from the societal kind of influences. For sure. I, yeah. I mean, that's just what, you know, either a hero or a leader sort of was the ability to, to kind of put yourself aside Mm -hmm. to serve others. And, you know, I think they had the right idea. They just, you know, that it needs to be implied then that the, the mental health and well-being journey to get to a point where you can truly serve others because you you're taking care of yourself, um, you know, where it's not costing you, uh, is something that, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would have liked to like to see that. It's so funny as you say that and you bring up movies, uh, this has happened three times this week. Someone's asked me what my favorite movie is and my favorite movie is the departed, um, by Scorsese. And it's so, as you're saying that I'm like, Oh my God, maybe it's the first movie where it's like, yeah, there's violence and like it's badass and it's, you know, Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio and Jack Nicholson, but you are dealing with the psyche of every man in that movie, you know? And it's like, maybe that's a part of it for me that it's just, it's like the first time that men are like showing up and, you know, so afraid and, you know, to the point like that Leonardo DiCaprio is like, so, you know, getting so emotional and so honest about like, about even though it's like, you know, mob based still, yeah, yeah, yeah. like you really do see like, you know, and they even have like, obviously the therapist that he like goes to and stuff, but it's like a man movie, but it deals with a lot. And, yeah. you know, there's, there's too much reality in there for it to be inferred that they're not fully feeling people, you yeah. know? Um, so yeah, maybe that, that just kind of clicked, but no, that's, yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting too, because if you look at that play with the therapist, right, she's, she's with Matt Damon, who his character mm-hmm. is really closed off because he's, he's been kind of associated with uh, Jack Nicholson's character from an early age and, and kind of had to be stunted a little bit. And then, you know, there's that weird dynamic with her and Leonardo, who is opening mm-hmm. up more and, and, and more. So it, it's, yeah, I think that's actually a really good um, thing to pay attention to. It's yeah. like, I used to always joke, like people will ask me on interviews and stuff, you know what, truly with your group of best friends, like my, my best friends that I've had, you know, what is, and I have two group messages um and it's like what was what what was mental health like what was checking in for you before tether and i'm like quite honestly it was a series of leonardo dicaprio gifts like based on <laughs> how i was feeling like it's yeah. like everyone just gifting and like i use the from Wolf of wall street to departed like i just use all like leo gifts because they're all there like whatever yeah. you're feeling and like the other guys got it and like it's kind of funny but it's also like it, it was our entry point like uh you know and it's it's you know you think oh it's just like silly gifting but um but yeah it was it was just kind of interesting that like you know it's like yeah these Leonardo DiCaprio moments like just that's kind of how we were emotionally connecting with each other and it's like oh yeah I know that feeling you know smart I might I might have to make a feelings poster for my office with just all Leonardo DiCaprio faces (laughs) to kind kind of make it work dude dude, it's it literally you know I'm one day I'll tell him but like you know it's like you you literally were a mental health journey I just you know it's it's this day um and I know the gift for the emotion and and then I translate it now obviously backwards but nice we lose I want to go into the two questions that I always use at the end of the podcast to kind of uh, wrap things up. So the first being, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? And the second being that you kind of hinted at before, 
what is your superpower? And you can answer in any order you want. Yeah, no, um, I think if I could have any superhero, I, I'm really at the age, honestly, where, and with the, the pandemic this year, it's been certified that this would be my superhero, but I, I, my superpower would definitely be to be able to teleport. I just want to be able to get to the people I love around the world. I build all these amazing relationships and I just, you know, without the travel and without the worry, just to be able to kind of get there and really check in. I, I've really learned to value this year you know, the ability of actually being able to be in front of someone and spend time with people and look into their eyes. And, um, and uh, yeah, of course, like Tether is a launching point as an app 24 seven support. But of course, as a, you know, the head of brand, I was pre COVID very excited about experiential events and getting these guys together, like, yeah. you know, in real life and all that stuff. So definitely that. Um, and that would only help as, as we did Tether events for me to teleport. Um, and then as far as, yeah, I guess I kind of hinted at it earlier, like, I really think my superpower is, is showing up fully is the easiest way to put it. But um, when I show up as my full self um, and as myself, that's kind of taking care of me and then turn to others to show up, um, I just feel like something magical kind of happens. It creates an instant safe space and it seems to, for whatever reason, sort of unlock parts of other people and, and allow them to show up too. And uh, it's one that I've worked on for a long time, but definitely cultivating relationships and, and creating, you know, genuine, substantial, safe spaces with people. That's amazing. And, and from, you know, the work you're doing, so important, right? So that's awesome. So uh I like to wrap it up with just kind of giving you a space to drop any gems of knowledge on our listeners, anything you really want them to take away from, from the podcast, just a couple minutes of whatever speaks to you and what you want to convey to them about what, whether it's something you do or just life in general. Yeah, sure. Um, I, uh, um, I guess like my final takeaway right now, what's coming a lot up, a lot in my life was it's just actually simplifying things and spending time to go back and just remember what it means what it means to you to have a good listener and what that is um, and go back to active listening we're just getting to a point where we're trying to do so many things at once and one thing that's really been helping me and I've noticed just like really allowed me to make such strong connections in such short amount of time is just going back to that like truly active and empathetic listening um you know asking questions and really hearing people and um and and if you can stay away from judgment and comparison for as long as possible or if at all i think it just in the long run it really ends up serving you and uh, that's something i always kind of like to pass on and of course as i said throughout the podcast my number one mantra honor the journey you know whatever's going on big or small whatever's going for on for you check in with yourself. If you like to check in through Tether, of course, that's been made available to you. And there's so many other ways to connect with people, but start with a personal self check-in and then, um, and then make sure you build community around that. Cause my story, like you said, it's, it's powerful, but it's biggest power is, is always coming back to the fact that the reason I, I survived, you know, the depression and the grief and the compounded trauma was, that I had other people around me uh, and community and people that I could tell at my lowest moments that I was in fact at my lowest moments. So 
Well, that's that's all I got. We we have uh, we have a lot going on at Tether. We have you know a blog that goes up every week with tons of resources. Um, and that's how I say Tether for all. It's you know we have a lot of women that champion us and read us and and pass us on and and um, you know Instagram, TikTok. I mean we're doing we're doing it all. Nice. Um, so we're out there. Just find find what works for you and uh, and connect with us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm honored to have you on the podcast. It was really great to talk and and kind of pick your brain about this stuff and and just have an open conversation. So thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. It was an honor. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, please outreach to us at info at thepromethianproject.org. If you want to learn more about the Promethean Project or if you would like to donate to our cause, you can reach us at theprometheanproject.org. If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends, like our posts on social media and Instagram and on Facebook, and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen. And remember that the most important step is always the next one.